Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer and founder of Space to Meditate. Well, good morning, John. Great to see you again, as always. Good to see you, Doug, and I'm really happy that this morning we have a special guest. We do. One of my my favorite teachers and one of my favorite writers, Bodhipaksha, who who we've actually, like, integrated into this show in the past without his knowing. (laughs) Uh, Well, we, you know, we we talked about your, the elements and I brought your book in and maybe even the book we're going to talk about today or, or the, I know it's a book, but it was something else before it was a book on, on fake Buddha quotes. But Bodhipaksha uh, is a ordained member of the Tree Ratna Buddhist order, but you, uh, you're from Scotland, as I recall, right? That is absolutely correct. Wow, yeah. good memory. And you live in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, no, no. Oh, sorry, not sorry. Not, not rich enough to live in New Hampshire. Oh, okay, nearby. I live, uh, I live about 25 minutes away in a little town called uh, Summersworth. Okay, near Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Not anyway, far. Yeah. You used to run the uh, Area Locus Center, I think. Or, no, that was your wife, uh, former wife. My Yes, my, thank you for bringing that up. Yes, my... Uh, <laughs> Ex-wife used to be the the administrator of uh, our right. local Buddha center. I was on the board for a few years, yeah. but I was too busy to keep it up. And uh, but now you have one of the actually one of the earliest Buddhist websites. I think. I mean, in terms of how long it's been on uh, online, your yeah yeah wild wild mind, which is wildmind.org yeah. uh, for anyone who wants to go visit it. Uh, I set that up in uh, 2000, November of, uh, of 2000. So it's been around a long time. Yeah. And I did a lot of research before setting up the website and uh, I'm pretty sure it was the first place on the internet where you could go and learn meditation. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's pretty impressive. impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you still can. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's one of the many resources out there and, and it's got a long history and a, quite a archive of classes and things. And so that's yeah, a lot of stuff. There, yeah. Yeah. And you also run the, the site fake Buddha quotes, which we will be discussing yes. a bit today. Yes. Yes, I do. And a related book, uh, I can't believe it's not Buddha, I think is the name of the book, isn't it? Yeah. That is the name of the book. Yeah. Well done. Wonderful book. <laughs> Wonderful site too. Nice of you to say that. Thank you. Yeah, and you could you could probably have several volumes of that book. I suspect. How did you? Uh, well, first off, how did this whole thing come about? I mean, when did you realize this was necessary? Yeah. Oh well, it, it started many many years ago on Twitter, and I haven't been on Twitter for over a year. Now, now. called X. I left. <laughs> yes, I I left after the uh, the current owner uh, took over. Yeah. Many many years ago, a friend and I were having a conversation on. Twitter, because we kept noticing that these uh, quotes were being passed around as being from the Buddha. And he was another ordained Buddhist, and it was just so painfully <laughs> obvious to us that this was not the kind, these were not the kind of things that the Buddha said. Excuse me, they weren't the right style. Uh, the content was, was completely wrong. The, they were often way too literary and poetic to be something from the, the Buddhist scriptures. And we started, you know, joking about how basically you could put the Buddha behind anything. <laughs> and 
someone would think it was a Buddha quote and forward it uh, or share it on on Twitter. And I, th- I think we even made up a couple of uh, you know really stupid, obvious fake Buddha quotes. I can't remember what we did, but you know, like "Ich bin ein Berliner," the Buddha, <laughs> you know, and. People forwarded it. People shared these things, you know, and uh, we realised we had to stop doing this. This was a real, it was a, it was a silly prank. It was an interesting experiment, but we didn't want to to contribute. And I, I had a blog at that time, and I started sharing some of the fake Buddha quotes that I saw there. And I got this email one day from someone who said, "Hey, I really like what you're doing with the fake Buddha quotes on your on your blog." It was you know my blog was a personal thing where sometimes I would be talking about practice and sometimes I would be ranting and raving about about politics or uh, you know sharing things that were going on with my my kids or, or something like that and he said you know you should pull all these Buddha quotes out these fake Buddha quotes out and create a, a website and I thought that's a really great idea and uh, it turned out he was planning to do the same thing as well <laughs> but i i got in there and got uh, the the url fakebuddhacoats.com just before he did uh, and uh, started transferring that content over there and i got some useful feedback from people um, first of all I, I was just like you know debunking these these quotes and you know explaining if i could which often i could you know where they'd they'd come from after doing a, a bit of research and uh, someone suggested to me one day, you know, you should put in something about what the Buddha actually did say, which is something, oddly enough, that had never occurred to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it, it, by, by nature, uh, I, I'm more of a, well, what Buddhism calls a, a hate type. <laughs> and uh, I tend to focus on things that I dislike. And uh, Hate types also tend to be intelligence types as well, because they're good at analyzing and breaking things down. Uh, I'm not quite so good at like building things up, so I thought that's a great idea. So I started integrating that in as well, and uh, you know, finding quotes from the Buddha that were on the same theme, uh, you know, maybe that contradicted uh, what the quote said, or, or maybe along the same lines as what the, the quote said, or, but certainly something from the from the scriptures, so that people could get a sense of what the uh, the actual you know Buddhist scriptures are like. But the interesting thing is, of course, even even beyond fake Buddha quotes is like how translations get interpreted, mm-hmm. and then right. So you have to uh, when do you when you when you go to the the quote that the fake Buddha well the the teaching that the fake Buddha quote might have evolved out of. How often do you find it related to a mistranslation in the first place? Because I, I I mean you're reasonably literate in Pali, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, rusty, Rest, very, very rusty. Yeah. I, I did, I did study Pali at university mm-hmm. uh, with the the late uh, professor Alan Sponberg, who was also ordained as uh, Saramati mm-hmm. into the Triratna Buddhist order. Uh, so you know, we'd got to the point after a couple of years where I could you know walk into a, a, a cafe and order a cup of coffee and a, a croissant in in Pali. But... <laughs> <laughs> what is croissant in Pali? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Coffee. No, no, but. no. I, we, we got to the point where we could, you know, we could translate uh, suttas and things like that. Yeah. But it was hard work. You sure. know, it, was, it involved yeah. a lot of, of record, resorting to the to the dictionary, and that was more than twenty years ago. Right. So I'm okay. pretty rusty. I, to get back to your uh, question, I, I remember that somewhere in the distant past there was a question. Most of these quotes do not arise from uh, something that the Buddha said. I, 
occasionally there are some that are really, really bad translations. Uh, there, there are in particular two uh, bad translations of the of the Dhammapada. One of them, mm. the publisher doesn't even call it a translation. Uh, it's so bad. It's the, the one by Thomas Byram. It sounds like Byron, the poet, but it ends with a, yeah. an M. And it's very, very popular. Uh, I remember, well, this was back when I was in, in Scotland, so this is like probably close to 30 years ago. There was a, a Buddhist friend of mine, another ordained Buddhist, who said it was his favourite translation. And it really is quite lovely. It's uh, it's poetic and... Uh, it's like reading, you know, Omar Khayyam or the, the, <laughs> the prophet, you know, Galil right. Gibran's the prophet or something like that. It's really, really nice and very, very lovely, but bears virtually no resemblance to the to the Pali at all. Uh, Byram, as far as I'm aware, didn't know any Pali, uh, and I don't think he even knew very much about uh, Buddhism. He was a he was a Hindu. It seemed like he just basically. Looked maybe looked at other translations, or maybe you know used the dictionary and looked at the Pali, and he would pick out a couple of words and basically compose an entirely new verse around mm. uh, about those those couple of words. So that's a, that's a really terrible one, which has given rise to quite a few wow. uh, quotes. And there's another one which is just a, just a bad translation. It's not terrible, but it's produced a few a few distortions and I'm trying to remember the 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 name of the the woman that did that she was she was another ordained buddhist uh, very very early on she was a member of the Chirata buddhist order and she had the same name as uh, a famous actress who was in the uh, was it the graduate the oh yeah movie? Anne bancroft yeah Anne bancroft that's right so there's a a buddhist completely a different person uh, english woman <laughs> Uh, called Anne Bancroft, who uh, did a translation of the Dhammapada. And it's just a bit right. mangled, you know. It's interesting. The Dhammapada, I mean, before we get into the fake Buddha quotes, it, it seems to me that the Dhammapada is one of those teachings that a lot of people translate as almost as if it's part of their study of translation, because yeah. there's so many translations of it. Yeah, there are. It's, well, I guess it, it's short, isn't it? I mean, what else are you going to translate? Well, if you the want chapters to are short. Yeah, can, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's only a few hundred verses. In right, it. that's true. But if you take something like the middle length sayings, I mean, that's something <laughs> you're going to be working on for you know, right. five years. Right. Where you could probably knock out a translation of the Dhammapada in, in a few months. Right. And it's also, I mean, it's a good um, sort of introductory uh, book. Right. I mean, in other words, if you had to pick sort of one book, you know, okay, how do you, you know, here's w- give me one book of sort of original quote quote unquote original writings. Yeah, you're going to probably yeah. pick that. It's probably the most famous, I would think, in the in, in Buddhist literature. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was the first Buddhist text I ever read. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I read. I remember when I was, uh, I think, 19 years old. I'd already uh, been to uh, a couple of meditation lessons at this point, but then had uh, dropped out. And uh, I remember I was out shopping with my my parents, and I walked into this bookshop and uh, saw the Dhammapada, and I was so excited because. Uh, at this time, and you're talking about uh, 1979, uh, I think. At this point, there were actually very few books on Buddhism that were around. Mm. Uh, the my, my local library had, uh, I think, one book, maybe two books on, on Buddhism, uh, written by Christmas Humphreys, who was the president, I, th- I think it was, of the uh, the Buddhist Society in London. He never regarded himself as, as being a Buddhist, and he... <laughs> advised in one of his books that Westerners shouldn't meditate because it was too intense for a, 
fragile, <laughs> fragile ox, occidental minds. Uh, so, you know, we, we shouldn't do it for more than a minute or two, which gave me a very weird idea of, of what meditation was. I, I read that book at high school and I thought, wow, what is this meditation if we can only do it for a minute or two? It must be pretty tough stuff. It must be really intense, you know, the kind of thing that's maybe going to make your head explode or something like that, you know? <laughs> Uh, so that was the only book that I could find in the uh, in, in my lo- local library. I think it was called uh, Zen for Beginners or, or something like that. It was, and it gave me no sense of what it was like to live as a as a Buddhist. I had no sense from that whatsoever of what difference Buddhism would make to my life, which was what at that point in my life I desperately wanted to know. <laughs> So anyway, I remember discovering the the Dhammapada, and it was another bad translation. Actually, it was the Penguin Classics. Uh, it was the first translation that they did by uh, Juan uh, Mascaro or Mascaro. I, I I don't speak uh, Spanish or whatever his his name is in, uh, and it was one of those you know t- typical opening ones because the first verse is really very often badly translated. It's all about how you're. The world is a creation of your mind and this kind of stuff, which is not what it says. Right. Uh, basically, the first two verses are saying that you know, what you do with your mind is either going to make you happy or unhappy. It's got your nothing intention. to do with yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, it's to do with your right. intention. It's nothing to do with your creating this world. Right. Uh, but he, he was another Hindu, and uh, <laughs> that is part of certain Hindu teachings, is that the mind is, uh, the, the world is maya. It's this illusion that your, your mind has mm-hmm. conjured up. And that's so so often been mistranslated that particular verse and, and connected with this Hindu idea of Maya that sometimes I hear people saying to me, "Oh yes, that's you know, the world is Maya, like the like the Buddha said." And you know, he never said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so many, I was thinking, reflecting on the fact that there are so many of these sort of bad translations going around uh, or things that purport to be translations there was this problem with uh, i guess it was a couple years ago with this transla- supposed translation of a terigata oh. The, oh yes and as well on a similar kind of route that the the one of the most some of the most famous translations of rumi's poems which they're not translations which are not translations at all either yes yes and so this is quite yeah, widespread Coleman bars. right yeah yeah it is and, and there's other there's been other things like this as well there, there seems to be an idea that if you get into the right state of mind, even if you don't speak the language, that you can somehow intuit the uh, the the intention of the original speaker and somehow channel them. Yeah, and that's what the uh, the, the supposed translator of the the Terigata did. Yeah, and uh, I've seen exactly the same idea put forward by someone who supposedly translated a, a Hindu text. I think it was one of the um, <laughs> I can't remember what the technical term is now. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking out. You know, the forest uh, texts. Uh, uh, Upanishads? Or or? Upanishads, yeah. that's the word. Yeah. Thank you. This wasn't coming to me. Uh, I think somebody translated an Upanishad in that kind of a way, and that's how he described his process. It's a very strange idea. You don't really need to know the language. You just need to get into some kind of mystical state and, you know, channel up. And the, the translator of the, 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 sorry, the non-translator, of the Terigata uh, said that he was doing that as well. And, and people were taking this as being uh, a genuine translation. Right. And women's retreat centers were forming whole retreats based around the study of these. And again, the, he had this lovely 
personal sort of language, but it, it was all coming from him. It wasn't <clears throat> the words. It might have that. been inspired by. That might yeah. Have been yeah, inspired by. Yeah. It was. It was his, yeah. his poetry, his yeah. original poetry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, loosely inspired. Right by the lives and words of uh, Buddhist women that lived two and a half thousand years ago. Yeah. 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 So that, but, that alone, I mean, a lot of these things, of course, well, as you said, they don't, they're, they're not necessarily the source of these fake Buddha quotes, although one could see that they could evolve into fake Buddha quotes very easily. Yeah. Um, or, you know, fake quotes of the, of the, the nuns. And I mean, it was interesting because, uh, you know, it's, uh, when when that book came out, and I don't want the podcast to be about that book, but I remember we got it right, and and it was right around the beginning of the uh, COVID when we had started our daily meditation practice with our group, where we read a poem every day. And uh, Upaiti, my partner, you know, got a hold of this book. It was, it was before the controversy sort of hit it, you know, and there were some beautiful poems there, and we we would read them, and you know refer to them as poems of the first Buddhist nuns until we realized, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then we got the original, you know, a good translation of those poems. And they're, they're beautiful in themselves. Um, very different. Than, yeah. Than, yeah. Than, yeah. Uh, um, I'm blanking on, on his name, but, you know, and I feel, I know he feels from what we've read anyway, he feels badly about the way it was presented. Yeah. The yeah. A lot of this has to do with publishers, of course, you know, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, uh, that was kind of weird. The, the, the way it was Shambhala that published it for a life. That's to, right. Yeah. To say that I don't, yeah. I don't want to no. shame them too much, but I, I was part of the campaign. I'm, I'm I remember. To say that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, got, got uh, Shambhala to withdraw that book and to republish it. Yeah. And I, we still weren't very happy. Those of us who, who did the campaigning were still weren't very happy about the way that they republished it. It still wasn't clear enough yeah. that this wasn't a translation. And they had they'd sent out lots of uh, preview copies to people, you know, telling them it was a translation. And they'd written back with their blurbs and, and whatnot, which ended up getting you know published on, on the Amazon page for it about mm. this is a wonderfully fresh translation and you know, a, a fresh new rendering of these voices of Buddhist nuns from uh, from ancient times, and which it was it was none of that. But even after they republished the book, they kept all of those mm. uh, blurb quotes there, yeah. which were basically framing, still framing the book as if it was a translation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I wasn't particularly uh, happy with them. I'd, sorry, sorry, Shambhala, I might want to publish with you someday. <laughs> I, I, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. I think you're wonderful and you do great work. But I think you know we all slip up from time to time, and I think you slipped up. Yeah, marketing. It's all marketing. Yeah. <laughs> I have one one issue has always been sort of in the back of my mind when it comes to uh, fake Buddha quotes, and this is something I have to deal with in my channel as well, because as you may know, in my YouTube channel, I tend to deal with early Buddhism, and so sort of trying to doing what you're doing basically in in a lot of ways, which is trying to distinguish the early teachings from later teachings, and you know just at least get right about them. But there's always this issue that comes up, of course, that you know so much of Buddhist history how do we describe it, is coming up with things that are attributed to the Buddha that, I mean, historically, the historical Buddha did not say. But nevertheless, here are these texts that purport to be in his name. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of all of this. And and the question is how, you know, how does, when I, when I come to the, the, the question of fake Buddha quotes in my mind, it's, you know, what do we consider a fake Buddha quote and what do we not? I mean, what yeah. do, what do we consider 
something that is of such historical. I mean, in other words, it sort of seems as though if a, if a certain what we might term fake Buddha quote is in a certain kind of historical uh, Buddhist context, it's sort of almost. Or, or what do we say about it? Do we say it's no longer a yeah. fake Buddha quote, or or, or, or how yeah. do we? How do you how do you come to that question? So I, I assume you're talking about uh, Mahayana sutras. Yeah, primarily. I mean among others, but okay. yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, <clears throat> so let's take the Mahayana sutras. So for anyone who doesn't know, they're after the initial wave of Buddhism, where well, the Buddha was around, he taught those teachings were passed on orderly for generations. We can assume with quite a great de- deal of uh, fidelity because they were written down in different languages in different places, and they all, they're all very similar to each other in terms of content. After that, there was a, a, a sort of renewal, a Buddhist renewal, where people were, I, I think, out of their own spiritual experiences, uh, creating new teachings and purported to be from the Buddha. And I think they, well, it's funny. We were, I was talking about this, you know, getting into a particular state and like you know, channeling exactly, the original yeah. author. And I think that's what people were doing. Yeah. But and they may have been doing it through their through the filter of their own deep experience of uh, of practice and and you know of an awareness of the nature of reality. Uh, and they created these these new sutras. Now the Buddha didn't say most of the things that were in these sutras. Sometimes I think they. They do take things that were in the early texts and they basically, they run with them, they, they explore them, they go into them in, in you know, deep and new and surprising ways. But these sutras were not composed by the historical Buddha, despite the fact that some of the sutras say they were. The you know, Mahayanists tend to uh, have historically tended to justify the, the claims made about their sutras by saying that the Buddha did teach them, but he only taught them to... Uh, advanced students who then passed them on in the same way and then and then wrote them down, but you know the the content is so different from anything else that the Buddha said, and we know that they were composed and you know late much much later. Anyway, what happens when a quote comes up and it's actually from uh, a Mahayana Sutra? Um, well, my, my my working definition of a fake Buddha quote is it's something that does not that does not come from uh, a Buddhist uh, scripture. I, if something comes from a Mahayana Sutra, uh, I don't c- classify it as a fake Buddha quote. Uh, but I do point out that the historical Buddha uh, never never said it, or well, as far as we know, he, he never never said it. Uh, so I, I try not to tread on too many uh, you know Mahayana's toes. And I, and, I, and I say this as someone who tends to really love the some of the Mahayana. Sure, they're beautiful. Love all of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some of them are absolutely wonderful. But not what the Buddha taught. Right. But, and, and I mean, that's, well, this is a whole other discussion, obviously, because they're not literally what the Buddha taught. But as you said, I mean, somebody would, you know, would be practicing what the Buddha taught and, you know, their experience would yield yeah. to this. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, that, that whole evolution and, and how, even now, I mean, you know, all of us have our own practice experience related to the teachings yeah. that we've learned and, and we have our own experience. And then as teachers, we kind of take that and say, well, my experience with this is this. Um, yeah. And and this is how I'm hearing it. And and my experience from hearing it that way is this. And I, that that may be sort of how a lot of these, I'm sure it's how a lot of these, these teachings evolved. 
and and uh, and created the beautiful teachings that some of them really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another question for me that's uh, very interesting, or not so much question as uh, an area, is um, the extent to which you can understand even some of the early Buddhist teachings if you don't have experience of the Dharma. Right. If you haven't, you know, the Buddha, some of the texts are about you know meditation states and about how you can shift your understanding of of the world. Yeah. And to what extent can you understand those things if you're just you know a, a regular uh, Pali scholar? who has never done any meditation or any spiritual practice. Uh, I, I think sometimes you need to just be immersed in the, the, the experiences yeah. that those texts are talking about in order to know what they're, they're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. That could lead to a whole other discussion about all sorts of things. But, so um, it'd be fun to get to some of the nitty-gritty of like what your favorites are. Um, I'm just looking at your website actually now, but you know, if you have some, some really favorites. And I also love the fact that on the website you have what the Buddha said on fake Buddha quotes. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I have have about 10 of those, I think altogether, because this is one of the things that people come back to me. They've got this idea about what the Buddha was. And uh, again, we're going back to the whole channeling thing. There are people who have never read a Buddhist scripture in their life. They wouldn't recognize a Buddhist scripture if they, Found it in their conflict, uh, but they they somehow think that they know what the Buddha was like. He was this really chill guy, right? And he he never judged because you know judging is so unspiritual, guys. Uh, and if someone misquoted him, he would just like you know laugh it off. And actually, there were some things that really seemed to have pissed the Buddha off. There were there were there are definite things if you look in the the Buddha scriptures. There were definite things that the Buddha really didn't like at all. Uh, he didn't like noisy monks. <laughs> that was that was one sure. of the things that that really annoyed him. Uh, he I, I, this is a little bit a little tiny bit of uh, interpretation on my part, but it seems like the Buddha actually quit at one point. He resigned. Yeah, uh, not from being the Buddha. You can't stop being the Buddha. He, he resigned as being the head of the monks uh, at one point because they were just so unruly. And some layman had, I think it was a layman anyway, had to go chasing after him and and say, "Look, Lord, you've got to come back. The monks need you." <laughs> And, you know, eventually, you know, he did. He, he came back and he became the head of the monks again. So, you know, he, he disliked noisy monks to the extent that he just gave it all up. He said, you know, screw this. I'm just going to go off and be on my own. And the other thing he really didn't like was being misquoted. And there are, there's one nice little scripture called the, uh, it's called the drum or the drum peg or something like that. And he talked about how you could have an old drum that, uh, it, a leather, old leather, stretched over a wood style of drum and that uh, it gets replaced a little bit after you know, after a little bit over years it gets patched and eventually you know you hit it and instead of making this rich resonant noise it just goes doink <laughs> not that the buddha don't quote me on that the buddha did not use the word doink but basically <laughs> that's what it does and he said that the that this is what is likely to happen to uh to the teachings that they get replaced you know little bit by little bit he really. This was in an oral tradition, and it was very important to him that the teachings were were passed on, because there were no uh, physical texts that people could look at and say, "No, no, that's that's not in there." Uh, if someone came to you and said, "Oh, the Buddha said, ich, uh, you know, ich bin ein Berliner," <laughs> then <laughs> a silly example, really. But uh, the, there's one whole class of sutra 
uh, which starts off with someone having a one, some Buddhist monk having a conversation with somebody and hearing this teaching that is being ascribed to the Buddha, and he says, "Oh, I don't know about this. I'll have to go and let's go and talk to the Buddha about this." And uh, you know, they go off to the Buddha, and the person that had shared this teaching shares it with the Buddha, and the Buddha basically rips him a new one. <laughs> uh, and he uses very what to us is very harsh and judgmental right. language. He'll say, "Who are you, worthless man?" To, to say that I, I taught this. Uh, he really seemed angry. And, and uh, you know, it's, sometimes I think, you know, anger is not such a bad thing. Uh, sometimes it's, um, it's, it's different from hatred. Right. Hatred is where <laughs> you, you want to, you really want to hurt someone uh, when, when you hate them. You want to make them suffer. But anger is very often just this way of cutting through bullshit. Right. You know, you say something to someone and they just don't take it on board and you explain again and they still refuse to take it on board and you demolish their logic and they still won't take it on board and eventually you say, look, <laughs> you know, you're wrong. This is how it is. And it's like at that point, you know, the, the force of your emotion like makes someone, okay, uh, all right, maybe I, I should, maybe sometimes that happens. You know, I've, I've noticed this in my own communication. Someone sits up and they take notice. Uh, at that point. And I think that's what the Buddha did. I think he sometimes skillfully used anger as a spiritual tool in order to help someone. It's like, you know, you've got this layer of bullshit around you, a mile deep, and I have this bullshit buster. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a, a Zen slap on the head. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, where, really yeah. Where it came of. from, yeah. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. and it makes sense and it's reassuring. <laughs> it is. So I, 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 I like a human Buddha. Yeah. You know? going, going back to, uh, you know, real Buddha quotes. So one of my favorite and most human moments is when the, the Buddha, who was probably at that point about 80 years old, not long before he died, and his uh, cousin and attendant, uh, Ananda, who was exactly the same age, they're sitting together at the end of a probably a long, hard day of wandering around and begging and teaching and meditating and, and whatnot. And they're sitting on this log and they're warming their stiff, ailing backs in the, the heat of the, the setting sun. And Ananda uh, says to the Buddha, isn't it amazing, Lord? You know, it seems like not that long ago that the two of us were these fine, healthy young men with, you know, beautiful, supple bodies. And look at us now, we're sitting here all broken down. And the Buddha says, yes, Ananda, I spit on old age. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, yeah, real, real human, there's real human being. Yeah. Behind all of the, you know, the repetition and the stylized formulas of the of the early Buddhist texts, mm. I, I love getting little glimpses of that man. That's, That's where they're lovely to read. I, yeah. yeah. Well, the, sometimes they're lovely to read, but you know, so much of the the Buddhist scriptures are the same paragraph yeah. repeated over and over and mm-hmm. over and over and over again with one word change. Yeah. Right. You know and. I don't think that's how the Buddha taught. Well, it's for memorizing, for memorization purposes. It is, it yeah. is. And, yeah. and it was chanted, of course, yeah, of course, so often. Yeah. But, yes. but um, yeah, I was reading yeah. one this morning to our, our group. It was actually from the Dhammapada, and uh, it was interesting. Um, let me just pull it up quickly because it it had one word changed that kind of surprised me, and I, you know, I, I didn't have time to really ponder it. it. It's the it's the chapter on the perfected ones, and in one verse it says. The path is hard to trace, like birds in the sky. Oh. In the very next birth verse, it says, their track is hard to trace, like birds in the sky. 
Hmm. It's like, hmm. Like, why, like, it, I, and I only looked at one translation. Uh, this is Sujato's translation, so I don't know if that's if that's carried through in other translations. But it's like, hmm, yeah. What what is the significance of that difference? Mm. Um, yeah. Well, maybe there's none. Yeah. Maybe the Buddha said the same thing at a couple of different yeah. times, or maybe someone misremembered it. The thing about the Dhammapada is, although you know, we we think uh, I'm speaking as if I'm a, a, a scholar of Pali, and, and I'm not, but. <laughs> People seem to think that the, the Dhammapada is particularly ancient because it's got some very unusual grammatical forms in it. Mm. Uh, and it, it's like if you read a text and it's got lots of, you know, these and those and withers and whatnot. <laughs> you're, uh, unless it's a, a modern pastiche, you're, you're pretty sure that, you know, this is an old text and the Dhammapada is about, it's like that right. as well. But it's supposed to have been one of the last texts that was actually written down. It's in the very last collection. And it, it, it probably what happened was that, you know, the monks did their systematization. They've got, you know, your long texts and the Digana kind, right. you've got your middle length texts, and then you've got the ones ordered by number and you've got the ones ordered by topic. And then they, there's all the other texts that were floating around. And, and I, I'd imagine there was probably lots of monks saying, oh, you know, I've got this little thing, this little phrase that I've memorized that I was told by my teacher uh, came from the Buddha, and I don't see it. Uh, in in your collection, mm. well, where does where does it fit in? And it's like, oh, right, yeah, we've got lots of these things floating around. Uh, we need to collect them together, and so you put together a bunch of verses, and you call them Dhammapada, right. you know, verses of the Dhamma yeah. the, of the Dhamma, and then you know you kind of loosely order them in yeah. by 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 category. You know, there's okay, there's a bunch of sayings that are about hell, and there's a bunch of sayings where the Buddha mentions Brahmins and and that kind of thing. So you know, let's put those together. But they, they may have come from different parts of the country, from different monks. Some of them may have misremembered them slightly. Um, <clears throat> so in some case, at least one case in the Dhammapada, uh, I know that the Buddha didn't say this text, this particular, or, or the Buddha didn't uh, coin or come up with this particular phrase. Because in one of the, the longer suttas uh, elsewhere in the, the Pali Canon, he says that it's not one of his his <laughs> phrases. It was like something that was floating around in the culture. You know, it was like it was sort of the equivalent of a, a stitch in time saves nine. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> the, the Buddha could use phrases like that. You know, not literally that, but it was actually to do with um, something to do with health. Uh, he was talking about, but the Buddha could use these popular phrases in his his teaching, and they could get get passed on. You know, the Buddha said this, and he did say that. But it wasn't, but it wasn't something that it wasn't right. his. It was just a, a common cultural pearl of wisdom that was being mm. you know, passed around from, from person mm. to person. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah, and we also forget, I mean, we're so spoiled, right, that in pre-literate societies where nothing was written down because they, they had memories. <laughs> and, of course, those memories are pretty amazing, especially, you know, as we hear from yeah. Ananda. But... Over over decades and, and in some cases centuries, obviously there's some morphing that happens into something else, and it may have the same meaning, but not actually be what he. I mean, we really don't know. We're making assumptions, yeah. but it is fascinating to me that I, I mean, I have a close friend who, former client in my old world, who is a he he chants. He talk. He he's a performer of Beowulf in the original language, right? Wow. And of course, Beowulf was a story. It was never written down until some monks, you know, decided to write it down, and then suddenly it became literature. 
And of course, the story as it's passed on, you know, changes over time. And, you know, it would be, you know, things would be brought in from the current events of the day and added to that story and, mm. and you know, the next mm. time. And who knows, you know, how the oral tradition 2,500 years ago, this was not quite that long ago, but, you know, how, how things were passed on. I mean, the chanting obviously makes a big difference because that's how things got memorized and presumably passed along. And then we get it in its original poly form as it's been written down from those chants. Yes. And then we translate it. Um, and, it, you know, there are people who are amazing translators, obviously, and do their homework. And we have, as you said, because they are written down in several different languages, that helps the translator if they can speak those languages or read those languages at least. So, yeah. Anyway, wow, wow we've talked for almost 40 minutes and we haven't even gotten to a real fake Buddha quote. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I just say something yeah, about that? Yeah. The, the easiest Buddha quotes to deal with are those that, where you look at it, and if you're familiar with the Buddha scriptures, you know this is too literary. It's not the kind of thing the Buddha said. And you know, you do a bit of research, and you can find out who actually said it. Mm. And, you know, it first emerged in the 19th century or the 18th century or or wherever, and you can pin down who actually coined that up. I think people have the idea sometimes that. You'd have to know the the whole Pali Canon uh, inside out in order to be able to debunk Facebook quotes, and uh, you don't. You could actually debunk a lot of these quotes without knowing a single thing that the Buddha said. You just it's just a bit of research, you know, looking at at the quote. And sometimes you've got to be a little bit cunning because the wording's been changed. So you've got to do searches for just little phrases within the quote rather than for the the entire thing and you have to do a lot of dismissing because you, you, the first page of results on Google might say you know the buddha the buddha the buddha the buddha the buddha and you have to you know do some digging around and go into google books and go into archive.org and dig around <laughs> in the books there the ones that sound like they might come from the the buddhist scriptures uh but are unfamiliar uh, to you. They're the hardest ones uh, to track down. And sometimes those take me ages, and sometimes it's very much a collaborative uh, effort. Can you give an example of one of those? Oh, uh, oh gosh. Uh, no. Okay, just ask <laughs> Well, I probably could yeah. if I if I you know looked at the uh, at the quotes here, but I'd have to flick through the books. You can uh, send, I, could, I was going to say, you probably could ask somebody like Bhikkhu Bodhi or Bhikkhu Sujato <laughs> who've translated the whole thing. So <laughs> they probably, yeah. if they don't know it, it's probably not there. Yeah, I it, I, I find it very difficult just to sure. know, yeah, yeah. up right, right now, but... Uh, yeah, th those are the most uh, those are the most tricky ones. The ones that sound like they might come from the Buddhist scriptures, or sometimes they do come from the Buddhist scriptures. But as Doug was talking about, it's a later Buddhist scripture. They might come from uh, a Zen uh, tradition, uh, for example, which they didn't exactly pay a lot of attention to the the Pali Canon. I'm not sure if they actually had uh, the Pali Canon because their version of Buddhism was uh, taken from uh, China. Yeah. Uh, right. Which you know, did have the Pali Canon in translation, but uh, the particular flavor of the Chan tradition it deliberately did not put a lot of emphasis on uh, understanding original texts. It was to do with uh, you know meditation uh, experiences that were passed on from yeah, and more about um, interpreting later teachers like Dogen and so on, rather than the Buddha himself. I think. I mean, although yeah. they. Uh, yeah. Obviously, somebody nowadays could take a, a phrase from Dogen and th think it was the Buddha's or something. I mean, that that certainly happens. But yeah, 
yeah, yeah, that that definitely does mm. happen. I mean, the one that springs to mind at the moment, and I can't remember exactly uh, where it comes from. Well, actually, there's I think it's from Dogen. There's a a phrase about uh, not putting someone else's head on top of your own head, and but by, by that, uh, I think if it was Dogen, uh, he was talking about basically internalizing somebody else's ideas. Mm. Uh, so you've got your own world of ideas and then you read somebody else's uh, teachings and, and you try to like fit them into your mind and it's like putting somebody else's head on, on your head. <laughs> you've already got your own head. You don't need somebody else's <laughs> head. So you, you start off by looking at your own experience and, uh, and working from there. Uh, so that one, that, that's, that's one that came from uh, the Zen tradition. And, uh, uh, yeah, there's there's others that come from uh, Japanese uh, traditions as well. Uh, I remember, there's one about oh, I think it's one about lighting a, a a lamp. When you light a lamp, it doesn't just illuminate your own path; it illuminates the way for other people as well. And that was from another Japanese teacher. I think it was from Nichiren. Uh, that particular one. Beautiful. It's a beautiful quote. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize for my lapses in memory, yeah. but it's a few years since I, I wrote this book anyway. Lots of words have passed through my mind since then. I mean, I remember there's also an early text, which is probably is after, the, I think people believe it's after the Buddha's lifetime, where there's some, I'm not even sure if he was a monastic or a lay follower, says there's a question about uh, whether he has correctly said something the Buddha said. And, and basically he says, if something is well-spoken, then it was spoken by the Buddha. And so people later time right, have, right. have taken that as as, as sort of, uh, license basically to say yes, that if something yes. is is it, if something fits into the same dharmic teaching as yeah. that given by the buddha then it sort of qualifies as a buddha yeah. quote right even if the buddha yeah. himself may not have said it so yeah and i think that's actually a misinterpretation of what that person mm, said yeah when someone says at the start of a book which is quite common, you know. Uh, you know, I want to give thanks to my teacher, you know, Professor Smith. Uh, you know, anything that's of value in this book is is due to him. Uh, all mistakes are my own. You're not literally saying that Professor Smith wrote the book, or that you're <laughs> quoting uh, Professor Smith. You're you're saying that you're passing on his teachings. And it, I, I remember that particular text you're talking about, and it's someone has given given a talk uh, on the Dharma. And basically, he's saying the same thing that whatever whatever's best in what I said, that's that's from the Buddha, and the rest of it's just like you know my stuff. He, he wasn't saying, yeah, I made it all up, uh, and uh, it's good, so therefore you can say it's from the Buddha. It's it's just not how it works. Yeah, yeah, that's an important point. And and teachers, you know, when you're when you're teaching, and somebody comes up and says, "Thank you so much for your teaching," and it's like, well. It's not my teaching. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, my, exactly. it's, maybe it's my interpretation of some teaching, but it's not my teaching. And, you know, take what you like and leave the rest or whatever. But it, that doesn't work either. Because <laughs> you, yeah. you can't not take the stuff you don't like if the Buddha said it. I mean, there's a reason for it. So, beautiful. Well, we haven't really taught, which is fine. I mean, I think we've talked enough about how we've received these teachings and how those teachings often get metamorphed into something else and you know find their way into fake buddha buddha quotes um or or oh it sounds like the buddha i'll just say it's from the buddha i mean that's fascinating in itself 
Yeah. Can, can I throw in one more yeah. thing? I, I don't want, it sounds like you might be trying to wrap up, uh, and I don't want to interrupt that too much. But people quite often say to me, it doesn't matter who said it, it's the content. But that's not yeah. true, because mm. why is it that fake quotes are attributed to uh, the Buddha and to Einstein <laughs> and to Mark Twain? Why do people put those names at the end of quotes that they found that they like that maybe didn't have an attribution on yeah. them? They put that on because it matters who said yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a difference. People will take it much more seriously if you put the Buddha or Mark Twain or Einstein at the end of it and claim that they were the author. People will regard it with a reverence that they wouldn't yeah. if it said, you know, uh, Doug Smith <laughs> at, at the end of it or Body Paksha yeah. or yeah. Aaron. And yeah. Sorry, I can't remember your, your, your last name. Oh, John, uh, John Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> it's an aging right. thing, Body Paksha. Sorry. Oh, it, it is. <laughs> I know it all is, about it. Also, my coffee has rolled. Yeah, well, speaking so of coffee, fun. actually, we didn't get to that. You know, you know, our, our show is actually supported by coffee, more or less. <laughs> um, and uh, thank you for bringing that in. Actually, mine is out too. But uh, so if you want to support this show, which uh, we hope you do, um, you have to go. You could go to our website and, and subscribe or just donate through digginthedharma.com. And we have this Buy Me, the Co- Buy Me a Coffee, it's called. You buy me a coffee and it supports the show and it actually supports our habit of coffee drinking. Um, and I'm glad you, you know, I was wondering if you drank coffee. I couldn't remember. I know you stayed with us, but it was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, so, so coffee is a vital. And what is the poly word for coffee? Um, <laughs> it's a vital part of this show. Uh, so you can support us at digginthedharma.com and buy us a coffee or two or three or four or five. Yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you so much, and we'll look Thanks forward so to much, having yeah. you back. Uh, this is fascinating. We could have this, this for, conversation for, for another here. hour, I'm sure. Yeah, at um, least. Yeah, so great to see you, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. It's been so enjoyable yeah. talking to you again. Thanks so I much. Appreciate being here. Yeah, thanks so much, Bodhipaksha. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at digginthedharma.com where you can leave a comment, buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaaron.net, and Doug at dougsdharma.com. <laughs>